Welcome to the School Leaders Podcast. My name is Dr. Gastrit Harrigan, the podcast for current and emerging school leaders, those who support and supervise them. You will hear from passionate educational leaders who are transforming their schools, communities, and creating positive outcomes for students. I will also share my personal reflections and tips from over 15 years as a school leader. Together, we will talk about how to level up our schools and leadership practices. Hello, welcome to the School Leaders Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Gastrid Harrigan. Today we have a special guest, Steve Frazier. He's a longtime colleague and principal who just retired from Broward County Public Schools. Steve is a South Florida manager for Justin. He's also the executive director of the Florida League of Middle Schools. He's a phenomenal leader and has been instrumental in improving student achievement at his school. Join me in welcoming Steve to the School Leaders Podcast. Wow, well, that's quite an introduction. Thank you, Gastrid. I'm uh, very excited to be here, really. Uh, your podcast is something that our profession dearly needs, and uh, you're doing a fantastic job. So I'm uh, very humbled and, and grateful to be part of it. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, just uh, Steve, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've been a principal before you just retired um, for about 18 plus years. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so so I have been an educator here in South Florida, Broward County Public Schools for 32 years. Uh, June was uh, June was my retirement date. So I am fresh, uh, freshly retired and um, so far so good enjoying it. 32, as you said, 18 years of, of the 32 were as a principal in two different schools. Uh, first, my first uh, appointment as a principal was at Henry D. Perry Middle School. When, uh, when that was a middle school, now it's an education center, as most, most know. And then um, uh, then I my second assignment was Silver Trail Middle School out in West Pembroke Pines and Southwest Ranches. Uh, as you said, uh, I have worked with the Florida League of Middle Schools now for uh, going on almost 18 years. Um, the last eight have been as its executive director, and I still have, uh, I'm still continuing to work with the Florida League. As a matter of fact, we just celebrated our 50th uh, anniversary and had a big celebration in Orlando. Had a lot of amazing, amazing middle-level educators that were there in attendance, pioneers from way back when, and it was real exciting. And also, I, uh, I have worked very hard and long with the Florida Association of School Administrators, otherwise known as FASA. Uh, that's at the state level. I've been on the board of directors serving in all kinds of capacities. Um, was a labor of love there. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of other things, of course, but probably the one I want to mention and most proud of is that I had the opportunity to mentor uh, up and coming uh, assistant principals, teacher leaders that were becoming assistant principals, and then principals who had just been appointed as principals. I worked with them to help them uh, get off the ground. That is so awesome. And and like you just said, uh, one of the most important work you, you have done is mentoring uh, emerging and future leaders uh, in your 30 plus years of uh, working uh, uh, in, the, in the education sector in 18 plus as a principal. So reflecting back on as a fresh retired principal over 18 years, not counting even you admit, uh, your assistant principal years, uh, share some of the lessons um, learned 
uh, as a principle that you can share and impart into us who are currently practicing administrators and, and school leaders? Well, there's so many, and, and uh, but I'm going to go share with what comes to mind first. First of all, when I first got my principalship, um, what I learned was the job, as much as you're prepared for it, you're also not prepared for it. That, that, that there are going to be things that you will come across that you didn't expect. And I, and I say you're not prepared only because you didn't, there was no textbook lesson on some of the things that you encounter. Um, but, you know, I think if you're prepared and you you have leadership skills and abilities, you'll figure it out, right? One of the things that I would say is I had to learn the school's personality in my effort to establish um, those strong relationships that leaders talk about all the time. So, so let me put that in context. Schools in general have many of the similar characteristics, right? The operational side of it, the way we do business is pretty much the same, but they also have their own personalities. And I learned that if I was going to be an effective principal, I have to learn the school's personality for my relationships with the school to be symbiotic, right? And that means symbiotic with all of its stakeholders. I think another thing that comes to mind um, is just about the job and, and how humbling it is, right? Um, the work that we do as principals is difficult and it's often grueling work. Um, it's probably one of the most challenging professions out there. So what I mean is <clears throat> it, if it's possible, it, it is impossible for one human being to be 100% the top expert in all the areas that a principal must lead and manage, you know? Um, and so I had to recognize my own limitations. I had to recognize my own weaknesses. And that's not easy, it's humbling, but it's also essential to establish um, a high functioning, successful school community. It's interesting you said- really the two, Those are two observations that I would have um, as, a, as a new, as a new principal. It's interesting. You mentioned that, that, uh, you know, one of the things I picked up, you said, uh, and I agree the, the school principalship is, you know, it's difficult work it's grueling work you mentioned. So as a new leader or new principal, even if you're in your first five or seven years as, as new principals who are listening, how do you stay fresh and how do you stay innovative working in a grueling, difficult job? Yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, one of the things that I was successful at is um, building a team around me that complemented me, both my strengths and weaknesses. It took time because sometimes the system isn't kind to you in terms of what you're able to uh, do in terms of hiring uh, good people. But, you know, I kept my eye on the ball. I knew as, as being a reflective leader, I knew where, what areas of this job I needed somebody to assist me and help me and, and, and so that we could complete the work uh, to the level that it needed to happen. 
I also maintain high standards, regardless of my weaknesses, that wasn't going to be an excuse for not meeting the standards that I expected myself and that I knew the, the district expected, and more importantly, what the children deserve. And so, you know, um, really finding those people, uh, you know, to, to compliment myself. And then on top of that, once you find the people, and, and even before you find the people, I think one of the big things I did is I diligently worked to empower my staff so that they felt invested in the school community. So I constantly searched for ways to include them as part of the decision-making process, right? And that's easy to say, Astrid. It's easy to say, you know, empower your staff, but it's difficult to actually do it and it takes time. And so I had to strategize. So let me give you an example. Um, the second school I, I, I was appointed to, I noticed that when I had my first um, curriculum council meeting with all of my curriculum leaders, I walked into the room and they're all sitting in the media center at tables on one side of the table facing me, facing the front of the room. They had their pads out and their pens and they're ready to take notes. As if I am going to be impart upon them everything they need to know uh, and that they would just hear my words and go back and put them to practice and implement them in their respective departments. And I was like, no, 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 this isn't going to work for me. And for me to say, guys, I need you to provide input wasn't enough because they didn't trust me at that point. I was new. They didn't know how much they could say or couldn't say. So I had to strategize and, and just do things that would make it more comfortable. So from that point forward, I, I set up the media center. Our, our curriculum councils were already always in a circle where we all faced each other at a table. I, when I uh, developed the, the agenda, I made sure each agenda item was a question, literally a question mark at the end of the, the statement so that it would almost force them to have to answer the question and start contributing. And then as they spoke, I made certain that, you know, I thanked them for their input, that there was, you know, that I, that I created a safe space for them to talk and say what they wanted to say, even if I didn't always agree. Um, or even if I didn't like what I heard, it was important that I acknowledge their input. Um, and then also I needed to button up because as leaders, we tend to want to respond to everything, react to everything that everybody says. I had to sit on my hands. <laughs> I had to, you know, literally force myself to not say anything. There were silent moments at those meetings because I said, no, let them talk. I needed to create a dialogue among my curriculum leaders so that they would then feel empowered and be part of the decision-making process. So it, as I said, it's, you know, it's easy for us to say, you know, empower your staff, but we don't get into how does that actually look and how do you actually do that? For me, that is something I had to do because I could tell um, they were not comfortable feeling empowered. They were, in they were not comfortable providing input in the agenda items. And so, you know, those are just a few ideas that I had in order to try to change that, that, that uh, energy. And let me tell you something, at the end of the, by the end, I couldn't shut them up, right? They, it, and that was a beautiful thing for me. I loved my, I loved those meetings 
because I could see their passion and their energy and their uh, uh, commitment to the kids and to what we were doing. Um, so much, they would say, oh, these meetings are so long. And I'd look at them and say, yeah, but I'm not the one talking to you guys. You're the ones talking. And they would laugh and we would, we would have fun with it. But, but yeah, that, that is another way I keep it fresh, I think. And, 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 um, you know, make sure that as grueling as the job is, there is reward in that hard work, right? There is something that we're getting back as a leader when you can see the changes taking place. Thank you for sharing that because, you know, I want to, you said so much. I just want to make sure I impact for all of our listeners listening, building a team, you know, being uh, part of that, building that team, being a reflective practitioner, being a reflective leader, going back and reflecting on the, th on the work you are doing uh, and putting, uh, building a core team to support you. You know, you talked about a lot about the curriculum team, empowering them and allowing them to be part of the decision making. I think that's important. And I like the way you went about doing it because you ensure that, uh, you know, there's a book, I think, by uh, Simon that says the leader eat last. And, and, and for, for, um, but the idea is that you, you, you sat in your hand, allow them to talk, to share idea. So I'm quite sure out of those meetings, really, you were pulling out of them. Uh, and implementing some of their ideas and therefore that create buy-in, that create trust. And, and by that, over time, like you indicated, you created a whole trust in that team. And I think it's critical, as you just said, the job is difficult to all of our leaders listening and emerging leaders is it is grueling. But if you build an effective team, it reduces the stress and allow you to go for the long haul and really uh, improve student achievement and make um you know, significant changes or improvement in the school. Uh, in the same, it's a conscientious effort. You have to be conscientious of of what you're trying to accomplish and find and strategize ways. Do they all work? Not necessarily, but as long as you're continuing to try different things to get them to respond the way you'd like them to respond. And here's another thing: governance of the school. You know, um, in order to create empowerment, I had to change the way, for example, team leaders contributed. And we had teams in middle school and you have team leaders. I know you have them at other levels as well. But again, I don't want them just to have a position without recognizing that as a leader in the school, you have a voice. And so I would change the way we uh, had meetings and did things so that they would all, you know, have the opportunity for expressing their views, for contributing to the decisions that were being, that needed to be made. I think that's awesome. And you, you just point out another thing. You are correct. There are team leaders, department chairs, depending on the level uh, you are at and, and making sure they are also empowered and part of the team to really build the collective capacity across the building, across the school. That's very important. Uh, on that same note, I know you had 18 years of experience and, and, and I'm sure over those 18 years, you've had variety of challenges. Um, we just came out of the pandemic, a significant challenge, but share one challenge you faced during your, your years as principal and how did you address it? And what are some of the lesson you pull, you could pull or glean from that? Gosh, I have so many, so many, and so many good stories, but anyway, so, so let me, so, so let me go back again to the first school that I was a principal at. Um, and I talked about school personality, right? And, and trying to learn the personality of the school. 
Um, so this school, when I got there, the mindset really was uh, keep the students as busy as possible because that will keep them out of trouble. Okay. There was a, 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 a high rate of disciplinary referrals and suspensions, which was problematic. Um, and, um, and so, um, you know, you had, uh, you had teachers and staff there that had learned to sort of suppress student creativity um, in an effort just to keep order, right? That was sort of the, the idea. I remember sitting at my desk and, and the papers, I was signing suspension after suspension. Um, and when I, you know, looked very closely and started uh, keeping tallies of what, what they were, I noticed a lot of them were cursing at teachers. And I'm, and, 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 you know, that was an automatic uh, suspension from school back in the day. And so I was like, Hmm, this is not good. We need these children here at school. Why is this happening? And as I went around the school and visited and, and classrooms, as I, as I observed out in the hallways and the common areas, what I noticed was there was a lot of what I call barking at children. And when I say barking for me, let me give you an example. Put your gum in the garbage can. Sit down. Stop doing that. You know, it wasn't, there was no pleasantness in, in, in the correction or the redirection, right? Um, and so then what would happen, of course, the children would often respond in kind. They would respond just as hot with the same hostility that they're being greeted with. And then, of course, you know, it would uh, it would rise to the level where finally the kid probably threw a curse word at the teacher. Out comes the referral. And then and, and here we go. And here we are. So so knowing there that was the, the the personality that I had to deal with I had to change this this culture this mindset and so I started doing a lot of reading and and, and asking some some colleagues uh, uh, that I knew worked in this field to say what what can I do to sort of work towards changing this culture um, I don't know if you know Randy Sprick Randy Sprick uh, is, is you know does the champs but he also does the um, the foundations model foundations is champs on steroids i call it because it's really the school-wide champs it's about changing the culture of the of of the of the behavioral concerns of the school wide in the common areas and and so you know i use that as sort of the tool to begin the work of changing this culture and part of it was again finding people getting the right people on the bus that wanted to help uh tally where were these these problems happening? Where did we, what did we want to focus on? You know, we don't want to bite off. We knew we had a lot of work to do, but you want to prioritize because you don't want to overwhelm your staff. And so we picked, um, you know, maybe half a dozen areas that we wanted to work on. And I asked the staff to go out and, you know, not only discover where those areas are, tell me which ones you wanted to focus on, but then actually develop lessons that can be taught that teach the children our expectations in terms of behaviors in the common area. Then what happened is I had that group who, who did most of the roll up your sleeves kind of work. I had them then share it with the rest of the faculty with the caveat that it wasn't cut in stone yet, that we still needed their input too. What did they think about it? What did they like about it? What didn't you like about it? Because they were the ones that are going to teach the lessons 
at the beginning of the school year to establish those standards of behavior among the kids. Did two things, Gastric. Not only did it teach the children what we expected, because nobody really took the time to teach them. Everybody in the school, all staff, teachers, cafeteria workers, support staff, principal, we were all on the same page. We all reacted and similarly. So the, so the consistency was huge. And, um, and it wasn't but two, three years that culture of that school changed dramatically to the point where the district was sending in teams of, of people from other schools to observe what we were doing because it was pretty remarkable. You know, that's awesome. And, and you, you are correct. Getting the staff on, on, the, on the same page, common language, common expectation across classrooms, across the school, definitely um, has significant impact on student expectation behaviors. And, and really, um, uh, adults or teacher-student interaction definitely improved. That is significant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and if you could reflect on, for all of the emerging leaders or assistant principals that are considering and, and looking to move into the principalship, uh, what are a few tips or advice you would share with them so they could set themselves apart and really lend the job as a principal? Well, thanks for the question. First, as I said, you know, learn the personality of the school, you know, sit back and watch, observe, um, ask questions, uh, notice things, be observant, um, you know, and then I would say, try to establish processes in your school. And I'm talking about the governance of your faculty and staff that allows them to have a voice in decision-making process. And then finally, I would say, you know, I, I've, over the years, I, I learned that there's a lot of folks out there, um, you know, they don't, uh, they're not trained and they don't have the credentials that we have as principals, but yet, um, you know, many of these people seem to think they can do the job better than us, right? Um, they always, we, we, you know, that's one of the tough things about our job is that we're always, uh, people are always criticizing what we're doing. And while it's important, I think, to keep one ear on the noise, and I say that only because some of the perceptions that you might hear out there are important to hear only so that you can change the narrative and the misperceptions, right? But I think more than that, we also must uh, keep one ear also uh, recognizing, you know, that um, that 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 narrative isn't always the truth and that it isn't the majority of the people's opinions. So it doesn't truly reflect our abilities as a leader and as an effective leader in particular. So, so I would say that, you know, um, be cognizant of that, be aware um, that the, that sometimes, you know, you don't need to rush into changing something or making a decision just because there's noise out there, you know, be confident um, in, in what you believe, you know, listen to your gut, you know, listen to the voices of the people you trust, listen to the training and the lessons that you've learned along the way. That is what you should listen to. Remember that noise is always going to be out there. Um, 
get a tough skin, but recognize that that noise isn't, isn't always, it's a, it's a misperception. It's, it's, it's often not true. And just keep confidence in what you believe and do follow your gut, listen to the people you trust. And I think you're going to do just fine. You know, it's, a, it's important that, that you just said it. You got to manage that noise. Uh, you got to you, you got to trust your gut. And uh, oftentimes, you know, the noise uh, may distract you from the real work, uh, which is student learning, student achievement and, and really creating the best environment for kids. If we could sh- shift gears a little bit and thank you for sharing all these insights for all of our emerging and current uh, leaders, uh, principals. Uh, in the past six months, you transitioned or retired as a principal. Tell us why you left the principalship and then a little bit about what are you doing right now? What are you focusing on the next chapter of your life? Yes. Yeah, so, so you know, I was in what uh, Florida has the, the drop program, the deferred retirement option. And I had gone into it just as soon as I hit my 30 years because um, I got into education later in life. So I'm not uh, I know it's hard to believe by looking at me, but I'm not a young pup. And so um, I went into drop right away. I was intending to do the full five years of drop. And um, uh, but, you know, things happen. And I, you know, received uh, a phone call and an offer that I could not refuse. It just so happens. I mentioned earlier my work with FASA, the Florida Associated School Administrators. I've been on their board for, for geez, over 10 years, many and, 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 and in that, I built many relationships uh, through that networking all across the state of Florida and beyond, really. Um, and uh, just so happens I knew these guys that are real big in North Florida and big, big uh, supporters of, of public education and school leaders. Uh, these are the Jostens guys. And, and, I, and, I, and I remember and, and, and I fostered a, a relationship with them, even though had, they really had no presence down here in South Florida. Um, it just was through my work at FASA, but at, uh, just recently they, they, uh, decided to, uh, to do a push into South Florida and, and gain, uh, gain, a, a more of a presence and recognition down here in the tri-county area. And so because of my past relationship with them, they picked up the phone and they called me and they said, Hey, Steve, listen, you know, we're really going to make a push into South Florida and we need some, we need a presence down there. And we know that you, you're the guy we'd love to lead our team. And uh, are you interested? Well, having the fact that I had a shelf life, I only have three more years because I did two years of the drop, right? So I only had three more years and these opportunities don't always uh, present themselves. I, uh, I said, yeah, it's time. It's time for me to go ahead and do something different. And you know, one of the reasons I was comfortable connecting with these guys is because they really, uh, our value system is, is, is matched. We, you know, I know they are all about kids and families and schools just in the 10 years that I've known them. And so I felt like this was a great match for me because really this work provides me the opportunity to stay in touch with kids, education, families, because I'm not quite ready, Gastro, to just kick my my feet up on the beach and drink drink margaritas. Coming soon, but not yet, right? And so this was really a great opportunity for me. Um, and I'm excited and looking forward to continuing the work down here in South Florida with Jostens and building up their business. You know, the the interesting thing is you I picked up relationship, relationship, relationship. And 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 doors are open and sometimes you get those phone calls without the interview because 
of relationships. So for all of our leads, regardless of the level you're leading at, regardless of if you're in the classroom, if you're an assistant principal, you're an emerging leader, you're a principal, even if you're at the district level, relationship, uh, from what I'm hearing from you, Steve, matters. Uh, so Steve, uh, you, you know, for those leaders talking about relationship and transitioning for those leaders who, whether it is an emerging leader or a principal is looking to shift and do something different, like you are doing right now while you were, uh, you know, on your way to, uh, retirement, but you ended early because again, opportunity posed itself. What are some of the advice, some of the tips you would share to any principal or, or assistant principal that are listening to this uh, podcast and that are considering a shift? What are some of the things they should begin to do, uh, to prepare themselves for that shift? Um, whether it is out of the school site or whether it is, you know, doing something se- uh, outside serving schools. Yeah, so great question. I, I think, um, you know, what I what I would offer is that, first of all and foremost, I think we sell ourselves short. I know I did. At one point, I was like, you know, I've I, I got to do the five years of job. I don't, what am I? I'm just a principal. That's all I know, right? I've done a principalship for 18 years, you know, and I don't think that translates to anything out there in, in uh, the quote unquote real world. And that's just not true. Now I'm more convinced than ever if anything, we are overqualified for many positions, right? Because of the, the many hats we wear and the, 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 the intense and, and wonderful training and, and, and job experiences that we have, um, it does translate to, to, to many other different, um, different uh, oppor- job opportunities. So let's, let's say that first. The other thing I would say is that, you know, in in my work as a principal, I have been very active outside of Broward County Public Schools. So I I engaged myself with the Florida Association of School Administrators, with the Florida League of Middle Schools. You know, I, I was I was involved uh, in the Music Association. Um, I helped founded EduPride, which is an advocacy group uh, for LGBTQ school employees. I have, I have purposely uh, expanded my lens, right, my reach, um, and it's been a wonderful ride too because I've met some incredible people who have taught me things along the way, um, and those those relationships and those those network that that networking brought to me those relationships, right, and it brought to me a. a, a ideas beyond what I knew in Broward County Public Schools. So I can speak to what's going on in St. John's Cap, uh, County. I know what's happening in Tallahassee when it comes to, um, you know, a, a lot of the educational bills that that being dis- discussed and voted upon. And, 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 and that's all interesting to me, as I would think it would be anybody who's committed to this work. Um, I've been able to share what the wonderful things we do in Broward at, at different conferences. And, and, and I would say that's a great way to connect um, because we are doing incredible things each and every day. And you can share that out to other principals around our state by engaging in these conferences. Sign up, put a put a put a when they call for presentations, put in uh, for for, for um, you know, apply for that, get involved. Because inevitably, you're going to feel good about being able to share what you know, your knowledge and your experiences. And at the same time, you're going to be connecting to some other wonderful people out there that can also offer you something back. 
and those relationships are are just priceless. They're 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 very very valuable, and I and I feel very blessed that I've had all of those sort of opportunities. But it didn't come without my taking the initiative to do it. And and that's very important. Taking the initiative, expanding yourself, having a growth mindset, and looking at other ways you could serve uh, in the educational sector. Uh, joining other association, uh, regardless of the level you are at, with regardless of the content you teach, because I heard you say music. Uh, so whatever uh, talent, skills, abilities you have, expanding yourself and growing yourself, um, and 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 later on you're able to capitalize on those relationship and on those experiences. So I appreciate uh, Steve for uh, sharing how you have continued to grow. Uh, over these years, as as we wrap up this uh, this interview, uh, if you could share with us your favorite book or quote and why. Glad you asked. One of my favorite authors is uh, Dr. Brene Brown. I don't know if you've heard of her, um, and um, she uh, often talks about allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, and um, which, of course, being vulnerable is a very uncomfortable space to be in. Um, but when we are vulnerable, we feel, uh, well, obviously when you're, when you're vulnerable, the reason we don't like it is because it makes us feel weak. It makes us feel ashamed. But Dr. Brown, um, dispels that belief. And, um, so the book that, uh, you know, that I'm, that, well, she, I've read all her stuff. I, I eat it up, but this is called, uh, daring greatly is one of one of the books. And in the book, she dispels the belief that, you know, being vulnerable um, is a weakness. Um, and instead, she makes the case that um, uh, it's actually a very accurate measure of of our courage. And she she um, recognizes that although uncomfortable and even a little bit dangerous, putting ourselves out there and allowing ourselves uh, to be vulnerable actually will open up many, many opportunities. So, so it goes back to what we were just talking about, right? You know, putting myself out there, taking the initiative, even though I might be tired or I might feel, you know, I don't have anything to offer. What do they want to hear me for? You know, it is is putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable. If it's okay, can I read a quote that she, that she put in her book? Is that okay? Absolutely. 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 So Please a, share that quote. This is in, 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 you know, this is a quote that is actually uh, from Theodore Roosevelt. Many of you may have already heard it, but but I, I think it speaks to what Dr. Brown is saying. Um, uh, uh, Roosevelt says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the, the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but, but who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who is the best known, he is the best knows in the end 
the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. And that's uh, Theodore Roosevelt. And I think, you know, instead of standing on the outside looking in and then sort of wondering what it could have been, um, you know, instead, you know, Brown, the author here explains, we should courageously step into the arena. And whether it's a new relationship with a coworker that may annoy us <laughs> or engaging in an important meeting or uh, developing a new operational process, because there really is no great effort without error and shortcoming. And, and so there is no triumph without this vulnerability. I don't know. I find that very powerful. It is extremely powerful. Dare greatly. So thank you, Steve, for coming on the podcast. Truly appreciate you. Uh, tell everyone who's listening how they can connect with you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I'm on Facebook. Um, you'll find me under uh, under my name, Steve Frazier. Uh, also, I have a Twitter account, and that's at Stephen. That's Stephen with S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Then in parentheses, I put Steve, S-T-E-V-E, and then my last name, Frazier, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. So that's my Twitter handle. And I do have an Instagram handle. It's still at principal underscore um, uh, STMS, which I'm going to change because, uh, you know, of my retirement. But um, you can still find me on Instagram by pulling up my name. And I have a picture, so... It's only one person that looks like me. Thank goodness. <laughs> awesome. I will also share it in the share note for everyone. So they could also just click and uh, whichever platform uh, they are on and connect with you. Thank you so much, uh, Steve, for coming out. And thank you for sharing so much insight. Thank you, Street. It was my pleasure and honor. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate you coming out. Thank you for joining me today. Please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and a comment. Share this episode with a friend and on social media. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for leadership ideas and tips. Again, thank you for joining me today. Until next time.